I get buckets. Welcome to Blue Wire Buckets. Today, I'm going to be your host of the pod, Mo Doc Hill. And today, I have Dan Favalli and Greg Mraz. Guys, how are we doing? Spectacular. Better than the Rockets, anyway. Uh, the Rockets are going to have I'm doing. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm a lifelong Warrior fan, so oh, I, oh, I'm, Greg's I feel just pretty good, Mo. right now. He's, he's chilling. Um, you know, but like, like Dan teased, the Rockets are down now 0-2. This was the series that we kind of thought was going to be a tight one, seven games. You know, we had a crazy few days of referee gate and audits and all of these things. I don't know about you guys, but w- w- let me just ask you straight away. What did you guys think of the officiating in this one? I thought personally it was fine. Uh, there was, I think at the beginning, it looked like it was going to get a little testy because I think it was like within the first two minutes of the first quarter, Chris Paul hit the ground and wanted a call and then he did sort of celebrate the first shooting space foul, which I think happened in the third or fourth quarter. It's all a blur, but um, I guess with the exception of teeing up both Nene and Draymond Green uh, fouls that are probably going to be rescinded, I didn't really take any issue with what happened with this game. I think it was probably as good. It went as well as the NBA could have hoped after what happened over the past couple of days. I think that the eye injury to Harden was very much a subject of the game and somewhat took away from the officiating factor that people were talking about with all these comparisons of the kick out when he has a contested three and a non kick out and a, just a straight up and down shot when he's left all alone. I think that the eye injury really dominated the focus of the game, but from what I could see, and also that the lead-in that Scott Foster was doing this game, I really thought that the referees called a pretty fair game on both sides. Like Dan said, with the exception of the Nene Draymond technical, I think that was unnecessary. I think that was Shout just out Ed Malloy. Too- yeah. Uh, wasn't Dan, didn't Ed Malloy also throw out Durant in one of the games of the Clipper series? I think he did. Mo, do you remember? I can't remember now. I, I don't know. I mean, there's always something. I mean, I was with the Clippers, I think, during some of those stuff. But oh no, this was last last week, right? We're talking. I'm I'm getting old, guys. I'm mixing in my my Clipper days with the the Clippers series last week. Um, you know what the thing is? It, Draymond gets into a fight with every ref. Like, does it matter? I mean, it's it's what's who? It doesn't matter who the ref is. He's going to argue with them, and there's going to be texts. And and you know, I know there's a lot of stuff with Ed Malloy. That that that's there are issues with with him and the the Warriors and things like that. So it's just like, man, it's I'm tired of the refs in general being a topic. Yeah, I think I I'm right there with you. Um, it does seem though that I'm I'm pretty much pro player, and I don't think Game One was consistently refed at all. But I just it boggles my mind that we point to specific whistles over the course of the game, or we play so much stock in the the last two minute reports or we we have these audits from game seven of last year being leaked at that time. I just, I don't buy into officials determining games to, to that degree. Yeah. I mean, like if we just go back to the game seven report, like, you know, for, for all the missed calls, they missed 27 straight shots. Yeah. Like that's hard. That's (laughs) hard to do. I mean, I mean, listen, let, let, let me correct that. It's not hard for me to do. It's hard for an NBA player to miss 27 straight shots. 
that's what they did. I mean, like, we're going to cry about these things. It's like, guys, you had your shot. You blew it. 27 missed shots. Whatever you want to say about missed calls, you also still had the ability to win this game, this game seven. And you had the ability to win game one. You know, there were definitely mistakes in that game. And I just think I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm just over it. I don't expect consistency from the officiating just because I think it's, it's three human beings. And then guess what? Next game, it's going to be three different guys refing this game who are going to have a different set of biases and, 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 and their opinions and interpretations of, of the way the, the game should be called. So, you know, we're, we're just not going to have that consistency where every game's officiated the same way. And I think we really throw the refs under the bus or the NBA throws the ref under the bus every time with these two minute reports. I think that the one thing that has bothered me the most in particular about this particular circumstance is that I think it's relatively known league wide that James Harden gets the benefit of more non-calls, whether it's him leaning in on a three where he kicks out, or whether he get doesn't get called for a travel when he steps back. The fact that the Rockets are crying foul over some of this stuff to me, and I'm not just saying this from a Warrior perspective, I don't think there's a single player in the league that gets more favorable calls than James Harden does. So when he says, I just want a fair chance, to me that speaks of like, well, do you have any perspective of how anybody else sees you? Because the way the rest of the league sees you, it's that you get every call that nobody else would get. I think just the reliance on drawing fouls on jump shots is, you know, that's that's shaky territory in general, particularly when you get to the playoffs, where I, I just don't know that you can expect the same calls or the same degree of calls, and especially in bigger moments of the game. I don't think refs... I think I don't think most refs want to be the storyline, and I doubt they want to have a call like that be viewed as this uh, determinant factor uh, in a, in a game as big as just a game one, round two playoff matchup. And so that, that's just even forget about how many calls he gets, or it does seem like they're more favorable. He was, I think, he was in the ninety sixth percentile of shooting fouls uh, drawn on jump shots this year during the regular season. I just, you know, to use that as a crutch. That to me is a problem and it's an exploitation of a rule that was put in place to protect shooters. Just when you look at his leg kicks on some of those contested threes, they're, they're, they're egregious and there needs to be a line drawn. And I, I think most of the quote unquote, no calls are probably the right calls in those situations. Yeah. It's, it's Kevin Harlan had a great stat tonight. Uh, I'll let you go ahead, Mo, but I don't know if you guys caught this stat, but James Harden, drew 95 fouls on three-point shots this year. Yeah, think, that is insane. I think that's a league record, right? It's not even it's not a uh, league high, it's a league record, I think. Um it's not like he he broke I mean, it's just absurd. And 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 the rules itself are kind of absurd and and what they're doing and I I totally agree with what you said, Dan. But let's go quickly. Let's talk about the game itself that we just saw in game 2. The Rockets are now down 0-2. Um I thought they played a pretty good game um and still lost like if i'm a little worried if 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 i'm a rockets fan because if i look at the warriors numbers like they still struggled from three going 11 to 20 11 to 36 shooting 30 percent from three curry having a poor shooting night and you still can't win this game uh you know what what do you guys think going into houston you know you're down oh two do they have it do they have what it takes you think to really kind of win the next two games and make this a series. Greg, I think this is where you say Warriors and four. <laughs> I'm just like, I am baffled at the way that Curry is playing in this series. I know that 
Durant is having one of the best four-game stretches of anybody in recent playoff memory. But I'm absolutely baffled at the way that Curry is playing in this series. He was 3 of 13 from three-pointer tonight. I mean, I know he was still like 6 of 16, got himself 20, which for Curry, like, yeah, he's shooting under 45%. Not ideal for him, but, I mean, there's just something about him in these playoffs, especially with the fouls that just seem off. But he has really been picked up by Durant, who is playing out of his mind, Thompson, who has seemingly awoken for the playoffs. And how about tonight's game from Draymond Green? I mean, I know that Draymond gets a bad rap for being this junkyard dog that people just don't want to deal with, but he scored 15 points tonight on 6 of 10 shooting. That is not a night you expect from Draymond Green. When you get that kind of night, that is a huge bonus. Yeah, and I mean, even Andre Godala coming alive, just he, his regular seasons are one of the greatest cons in the NBA. Just lulls you into thinking that maybe this is the year he's regressed. And so he has a huge game for them. Uh, it's, you know, Curry's shooting. I would think it just, it would pick up if he didn't have that uh, dislocated finger. I would attribute uh, at least some of his inefficiency to that, right. even though he didn't have a great game one. I picked the Warriors in five at the start of this series just because I thought the Warriors were awoken at, the wrong time for the Rockets. When you look at what happened against the Clippers, you know, Los Angeles is punchy and deep, but if you're the Warriors, you don't want them to get to a game six. You had that whole, will Kevin Durant score or shoot more drama? And then he, as Greg said, goes on this now like five or six game tear, whatever he's on at this point. And, you know, the Rockets, I don't know how much of a better game they can hope to play. If you don't have nine turnovers in the first quarter, uh, maybe the game turns out differently, but they did a better job over the latter three quarters or over the latter half of limiting the Warriors in transition. So they can be a little bit better, but they they don't have any real margin for error. And it's tough for me to imagine them um, just making this a series. And I don't think they seem like one two-way wing player short of being where they were at last year. And I know a lot of people have pointed to Trevor Ariza, but you know they, they had James Ennis, and I think he could have been someone who made a, a difference in this series, but they move him uh, j- just for tax reasons. So I think that's something, a move, uh, one of many that sort of looms large in their you know championship hopes over how they've taken so much of a hit over the last year or so. Yeah, I think, you know, the James Ennis, you know, being a, uh, uh almost a cap casualty or tax casualty. And I think, you know, even, even a reason I'm, I'm part of the crew that's saying, you know, I think having a reason would have made a difference. Cause when you look at this team now, nobody can guard Kevin Durant. And that's, and that's clear. Like the only way Kevin Durant won't have a good game or put up big numbers against them is if Kevin Durant chooses to be passive again. Um, I, I just don't see that happening. I, I could see it. And if, and I'm just going to say it now, if, if the Rockets don't win game three, they're getting swept. They're not winning game four. There's, I think that's dead in the water. I think, you know, if, if they don't get game three, this thing's over in four. And that's kind of, it's actually going to really hurt their, their, their claim that they would have won, uh, that they should have won game seven last year, just because now the Warriors have a healthy Iguodala who, like we said, has kind of been playing possum all, all season, but I almost feel like the Warriors all year have been playing possum. Um, with everybody kind of more concerned about the Warriors or, or whatnot, but that, it's enough about that series. Let's talk about the 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 Bucks Celtics. The Bucks come out of this game. I mean, they definitely responded after you know Bud making comments of adjustments are overrated. He made a few nice tweaks to their defense. Giannis has a monster game, especially in the third quarter when the game really kind of busted out open. 
Um, what did you? What was your guys' thoughts on this one? For me, it's you know Giannis. You know he ends up having a good game, and yet it wasn't even like a typical Giannis game. Uh, seven of sixteen from the floor is bad for him. He attempts eighteen free throws, which I think is huge, and that's one of the things. I'm sort of looking at for the rest of the series. I think Budenholzer was smart to put Miritich in the starting lineup in place of Sterling Brown, but something that was sort of lost in Boston, just thumping Milwaukee in game one was that they were, Boston was hammered in that transition uh, battle. And then they were hammered again um, tonight, outscored 23-11 yeah. on the break. And that's where Atentacumpo is going to do just a lot of his damage and generate a lot of his free throws. So you can take away a lot of what he does in the half court, but if you can't stop the Bucks from getting out in transition, um, from really dominating that battle on the break, you're, you're going to have problems because the supporting cast is going to shoot better than they did in game one. We saw it. Uh, Chris Middleton came alive in game two. Eric Bledsoe came alive in in game two, you had a, a better, I'll say more measured game from Pat Connaughton, who in game one was just, he had, I don't know what he was feeling it. And none of his shots were going in. So th- I'm, I'm very interested to see as much as we commended what the Celtics did defensively in game one. I'm wondering if they can uh, address that element of what has actually hurt them. Uh, just it didn't show up necessarily in game one, but through both of these games. I think for Milwaukee, they showed tonight that when they're supporting cast, like you said, Dan, needs to show up, they can show up. This, to me, has been the most talented and complete team in the East all season long. And I think that what Game 1 did to them is said, look, we can't just win on town alone because Boston has been here before. They have gotten to this position, and they are upset about what happened last season. And so Milwaukee just needed to get woken up. And like you said, Dan... Chris Middleton waking up tonight, I think, was a huge factor in their success because when they'll double on Giannis and you can get guys like him, Bledsoe, hopefully if they can get Brogdon back at some point, that'll be a factor as well. There are a lot of options that Milwaukee has from the outside, and I just look at this series as saying, game three is going to decide a lot of it because Kyrie was not very good tonight. Uh, four of 18 shooting the, the Celtics just as a whole offensively were as pitiful as I've seen them since many of their myriads of struggles in the regular season. I, I want to know what you guys think about Boston offensively tonight. And just that, I mean, Milwaukee defensively was as good as they can be, but uh, I just want your opinion on the Celtics shooting woes at this point. Well, like I thought, I mean, you said you hit it right with Kyrie, like he was abysmal tonight. And I really think the Celtics as a whole, their shot selection was terrible. Um, I think they held it too long. I think it was too much one-on-one stuff and not a lot of uh, passing. I didn't see the ball moving as much as I thought it. I thought it did in game one. But the other thing that really kind of irked me a little bit in this game was I didn't feel like they really attacked them in the pick and roll, especially Lopez in the pick and roll. You know, in game one, they got to the pick and roll. They got to the the, the mid-range all night long, and they just kind of kept putting Lopez in it. And, you know, it, whether it was the, the ball handler hitting a shot or or whether it was hitting Al Horford popping and hitting a shot, um, you know, they had 30 points in the mid-range that game. This game, I think they finished with, with 12, but really I think like six of them were when the game was already out of hand. Um, I think they need to get back to kind of, attacking Lopez and, and, and really kind of 
putting that pressure on their defense and finding that stuff. And I think they need to have better shot selection. Ball's got to hum a little bit. It's got to fly around the court. You know, when it's, when it gets stuck into these guys' hands for too long, you know, Tatum going two for 10 and whatnot, like it just, it, it's, it, it bogs down their offense and it, allows defenses to lock in and, and get the turnovers they need to to get those fast break points that Dan was talking about. So I think that's really the concern I have with with the bot with Celtics offense uh going into game three. Kyrie low key during the playoffs has just been rotating through a, a good shooting night and then a crappy shooting night. Like his numbers look good in the aggregate for the most part, but he had some close to duds against the Pacers and you know he goes 12 of 21 in game one but then he was what was it four of 18 tonight against the Bucks. he's just had some pretty yeah. bad shooting games when you can't count on Jason Tatum to shoot well um, things get really murky and Gordon Hayward's been someone who has stepped up for them a lot in recent weeks but one what type of load can you count on him to shoulder and that's even when he had a good game in game one, you know, eight shots in 30 minutes, I, I guess is fine. He's jump starting a lot of the offense, but then goes one of five um, in, in over 30 minutes of game two. They, they just don't have that clear second option yet, which is just so bizarre to say about this team when you look on the personnel with it. But when Marcus Morris ends up being your best offensive player for long stretches, there's a problem, whether it's the regular season or the postseason. I mean, this would have been a blowout. Shouldn't it be Jason Tatum? It should, it should be, but Shouldn't Jason be Tatum Jason needs to Tatum, stop Dan? abandoning his drives. Like his half baked, his half baked attacks are just so. His shot selection has improved since that whole you know Kobe esque start to the season, but he just really lacks some sort of attack mode and, and settles too much. He's only a sophomore again, so while it probably should be him in theory, he's clearly not there yet. Right, and and this game would have been a lot worse had Horford and Morris not had the first half they had. This thing would have been over before halftime if those guys didn't have the half that they had. Al Horford is just, um, can we just say he's a beast? I just, he's so good. I, I laugh anytime somebody wants to criticize Al Horford. The only thing about, I'm, I'm okay with criticizing Al Horford about is that weird thing where he ducks when a rebound is coming <laughs> at him. Tristan Thompson loves it. That's, yeah, but that's the only thing I'm going to criticize him about. Otherwise, I'm with you, man. He's a beast. There's, he does everything you possibly want him to do on the court. Um, and, and he's the big <laughs> fundamental. There's only one big fundamental, Greg. We're not messing around with that. Okay. And that's. Well, he's the equivalent of the big fundamental. I, I mean, you got to lo- like you love everything about what Al Horford does. And while you think that Kyrie is the, you know, the power leader of this Celtic squad, I mean, wouldn't you think that the spiritual leader of them has got to be Horford? Like that guy's got to keep how vocal this squad he is together, behind the scenes like. because I feel like I've heard stuff where he's really not that guy. And I don't, you know, you, you would think that he, maybe he is again, I'm not inside the Boston Celtics locker room, but he seems more of like the on court spiritual leader than he might be off the court. That seems more like a Marcus smart territory to me, but he's maybe we can call him the demonstrative dabbler just because he does basically everything. I like that one. I'm with you though. I think it is Marcus Smart who's really kind of that spirit within the uh the the locker room. I think he's just kind of the quiet lead by example guy. Um and 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 he, you know you know who he is? He's the guy who when he does start yelling or when he really does get on you, you listen because you're like, "Wow, Al never yeah. does this." So this is definitely an issue. Um let's go into the games that happened uh the day before. And I want to start with the Sixers Raptors. 
the Sixers, after getting their butts kicked in game one, I mean, they were thoroughly dominated in game one, you know, came out with a pretty impressive win in game two. A few adjustments, you know, Joel Embiid guarding Pascal Siakam, Ben Simmons had had the Kawhi assignment and did actually a pretty good job on him, even though they, they were doubling Kawhi whenever they could. He still did a pretty solid job himself one-on-one with him. And, you know, despite really a bad offensive game from pretty much almost everybody not named Jimmy Butler of their starting unit, uh, they came away with a, a pretty tough win. Did you th- When you guys look at it, do you look at it as a flu- uh, fluke or is this a series now? Can it be? I don't want to say it's both, but I almost looked at it as it was encouraging for the Sixers, but I, th- I think there's also silver linings for – Toronto um you know Ben Simmons made Kawhi's life difficult but he still finished with 35 on 13 of 24 shooting they I did think that uh Simmons did a nice job of coaxing him into some more pull-up jumpers than he would have wanted and maybe just having him get rid of the ball more often than he would have wanted but for this series Raptors players not named Pascal and Kawhi are shooting under 29 percent and so if you're the Raptors the fact that you're tied 1-1 and that you were in a position to win game two still knowing that some of those guys are going to get better. I almost just look at this and think that maybe the gap between these two teams is still larger um, than it might seem. And I guess the counter would be that, as you said, Mo, the Philly starters uh, did not perform great, but Joel Embiid won't be sick every game, but how's his left knee doing? We've seen some kind of weird fits and starts from JJ Redick. Ditto for Tobias Harris. Jimmy Butler has disappeared until crunch time a bunch for them this season. So, and they're just not, you know, they're not deep overall. And so that they've won the bench battle so decidedly in, in game two, that's not something that's going to happen every night either. I think Marcus Gasol is going to wake up. That's the other thing. When you talk about the guys not named Pascal Siakam or Kawhi Leonard, I, Gasol is just too good of a player to be playing offensively the way that he is right now. I mean, last night's performance was maybe one of the worst playoff performances that he's had dating back to any playoff series that he played with the Grizzlies. I think Toronto is just a much more complete team. And like you said, Dan, like Jimmy Butler has disappeared at times. And there's a part of me that just feels like Jimmy Butler, when it gets down into that two minutes or less mode, and it's a one or two possession game, he's just going to ISO that team to death. And I just don't think that they are as good of a team when he is in that mode. Now, granted, he can be very clutch. We saw that back in his Bulls days. We saw that somewhat last year with the Timberwolves. I think Jimmy Butler wants to be the guy that hoists himself up onto the mantle, but I just don't know if he's the type of guy that I want taking the shot in the last second. The problem with Philly is is that I don't know who I do want taking that last second shot, and I just think that Toronto eventually is going to say, all right, We'll double this guy in the last minute. And you know what? If you dare Ben Simmons to shoot it, great. If you dare Tobias Harris for how he's been playing to shoot it, go ahead. Do that. I I just don't think Philly has got the shooters at this point outside of Redick. And then when he's playing well, Butler, I just don't think they have the shooters to consistently compete with Toronto. Well, I I'm going to push back on a few things, Greg. On, uh, on a couple of things you said. I The thing about Gasol is I think this is who Gasol is going to be in Toronto, at least for the, the time being, just because, you know, he's the new guy. He came in, got traded there. He hasn't averaged a ton of shots, you know, since he's been a Raptor. I think he went from 
12 or 13 shots a, a night when he was with the, the Grizzlies this past year to after the trade, about seven. And that's kind of where he's at now um, in in the, the playoffs. And I think that's kind of what you got to expect from him. I don't think he's going to get a lot of shots. I think his job is kind of be more of a ball mover and, and things like that. It will help the Raptors if he shot more, especially from three, because he can knock that down. And we, we, you know, we saw flashes of that in game one. Um, but I just kind of think that's that's their issue there. I think it really just comes down to Kawhi and Siakam have to be really on, I think, for the Raptors to win these games. And I think the Raptors are going to win the series. Um, but I think it's going to be a lot harder than people think. I think Philly's a tougher team than people think. I also think, you know, Butler's been good for them in the clutch since they got him. I mean, he had a bunch of clutch shots all through the regular season. He was big in the the Brooklyn series, you know, I think it's one of those things. I think it's, it's, that's his role, you know, is to kind of float around and, and, you know, uh, Brett Brown keeps calling him the adult in the room. So that's kind of his job, right? He, when it, when it starts to slip away or when they really need that big time bucket, he's the guy they go to. So, you know, how they act after they double him, then, then things will get interesting. Um, but we haven't seen too much of that from the Raptors yet. Maybe they will, if they, they get into another close game. I, Personally, I think it's a closer series than people think. Um, I think we're going to have an Embiid game. I know there's questions of his knees and things like that, but I still think that's going to come. Um, you know, besides the great post game comments he gives us, um, I don't think he, you know. I think he's going to get over his uh, the bubbles in his gut <laughs> kind of thing, and 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 you know, my, is going to have a big game somewhere, whether it's game three or game four. Um, I think he's going to kind of step up. Uh, I think it's a closer series, though, than people think. I think a lot of people feel like even though the Raptors lost these two or I'm sorry, lost this game and, and you know, didn't even play that well in game one besides the Siakam Leonard thing. I, I think it's closer than people are going to give Philly credit. And I think Philly's just a mentally tougher team than people give them credit for. That said, they're still not going to win the series. Toronto's the better team. They, for me, I think what, so I actually agree with you with Jimmy. So there are probably very few players that can sort of float around during the game and then enter that closers mode. And he sort of, he blends the best of Harris, Simmons, and Embiid in those crunch time situations. Uh, We saw it when Embiid passed out of that double team to him in the three. He could still work from those standstill positions like Tobias Harris. Um, He can initiate the pick and rolls like Simmons, and he's just a bully when he gets into the lane or with his back to the basket like Embiid. I just, when you have Simmons guarding Kawhi Leonard for most of his 40-plus minutes per game, and you're going to see him get um, Leonard as well on the opposite end defending him, I question what that does to Philly's macro-level offense because it probably puts you in a situation where Ben Simmons shouldn't have the ball in his hands as much, and when he doesn't have the ball in his hands with both himself and Joel Embiid on the floor – there are just so many things that can and will go wrong for the Sixers. And it's not even a matter of saying, well, we can let Jimmy cook earlier. Just all these guys, is there going to be the space um, for you know for that to work, where you have Simmons and Embiid both off the ball at the same time, probably more than you want to. And then you get into the issue of, well, how do you stagger minutes then in that situation because you want both Simmons and Embiid on the court? And that's where it really falls apart for me for Philly because – uh, Mo, you said, I do think they are mentally tougher and just better than people think. I don't think they come close to being a, a proper, you know, peer for, for the Raptors, at least not right now. And it wouldn't surprise me if we've reached a point where uh, Toronto uh, rattles off three straight wins and this, this ends in five. 
But you know, Dan, the one thing I'd say though is they kind of they've already sort of have their their lineup and rotation set and and staggered, you know, staggering, you know, they they take Embiid and Simmons out and and that's when Harris and Butler are supposed to cook and then they take those guys out and and bring back Simmons and Embiid and usually with Redick there. You know, and I think that's really when they actually can give Toronto trouble because Toronto's bench has listen everybody talks about how deep they are but with OG Ananobi's appendix bursting and them having to have that surgery and him not being available you know the the bench has not been good even in game two even in game one they were getting crushed by by the Sixers um you know and 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 listen I don't expect the Sixers, the Sixers to get 10 points from Greg Monroe on a regular basis or or you know they they got a huge game from from James Ennis offensively for 13 points um I don't expect that to be something that will continue throughout the series but you know we, we we've seen guys step up for that team in the in the Brooklyn series we saw Boban of all people you know have a few big games when when Embiid was out so I I I think you know they kind of have their rotation set and 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 Brett Brown has kind of crafted this nice little staggered lineup where at least he always has two of these four guys you know, always on the court. And that's not something that Toronto's able to match that often. That's that's a fair point. And I think the point about the Raptors bench is good as well. They've been, we've talked about how they're probably going to peak at the right time all year, but they've been underwhelming for most of the season. Yeah. And, and, and let's move on from, from that game. And let's talk about the Nuggets Blazers. Um, man, <laughs> do the Blazers, can the, can the Blazers stop Jokic? Do they have anything they can do? Like, is there anything you can do to stop Jokic? Like, they don't have Nurkic, um, obviously. Uh, Ennis Cantor is, you know, with with a separated shoulder. I mean, we I don't know if you guys saw. He made that dunk, and then as he came down, he was like, "Oh, that was a mistake. My shoulder hurts." Um, you know, I, they're they're banged up in that area. You know, can they stop Jokic? How dare you insult the defensive abilities of? Illinois fighting Illini legend Myers Leonard, uh, uh, and, and I say oh, this as a oh, guy that went to rival school Northwestern. So, <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, no, I, I don't. I just the thing about Jokic that is incredible is that he is one of the most unique players of our time, just because of w- how much he can do offensively. I don't think I've seen a big man that is as good of a passer in the modern NBA as Nikola Jokic is. And if you're not telling me that he is what makes that engine go, then you clearly haven't watched enough Nuggets basketball this year. And also, I don't think I've clearly watched enough Nuggets basketball this year as well. But the performance that he put up last night, it's just a bad matchup for Portland. I mean, when you have a guy that is as skilled as Jokic is and you're as thin on the front line as Portland is, I mean, Dame can go off all he wants. He can have a 39-point performance like he did last night. If you can't defend on the block against a guy like Jokic and if they collapse on him and then you kick out to a guy like Murray or Harris or, heck, even Millsap in the mid-range, like, you're in trouble. Like I see for as good as Portland played in the OKC series, I think they have met their match. And like you said, Mo, and I'm interested to see what you say, Dan, I don't know what they can do to stop the uniqueness that Jokic brings. My, my take would just be that they can't do anything. And he is, 
he's so much harder to defend when he when you actually feel like he's going to shoot. And since that game three loss to San Antonio, he's averaging over 20 field goal attempts per game. And so if he's going to, uh, you know, his pump fakes from three actually mean something now because he's been taking a lot of them. And so a guy who's really going to look for his shot but can still do all he does when he's catching the ball out of pick and rolls, even for when he's in set positions in the post or above the arc. And um, when he's moving with the ball, you always have to be on the lookout for those baseline cutters. There's just too much motion and too many things to account for if you're the Blazers. And again, to bake in just star level shot volume, it makes him impossible to defend. And so I'm interested to see what you think about this, Mo, since you worked um, for basketball teams before. Everyone's talking about how thin the Blazers are on the front line. And I don't think no matter who they really lean on, whether it's going to be Myers, Leonard, Ennis Kanter, Zach Collins, I just don't think they're ever going to match up with Jokic. So what would you think about just going the complete opposite direction? And this probably looks stupid after the game that he had, after how much Paul Millsap um, killed Portland small ball fours. But what if you just used Aminu at the five with Harkless at the four and you round out your rotation with CJ Dame and then either Evan Turner or Rodney Hood and maybe just try and play make the Nuggets into some awkward situations? Because that's almost where I'm at. It sounds drastic, but I just don't think any of the Blazers' size is going to be anything close to a viable match for what Jokic can do. Yeah, I mean, they started to do that, you know, at the end of that game and switching those pick and rolls with, with, uh, uh, Aminu and, 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 uh, I'm sorry, with, uh, Jokic and, and, and Murray. So they had Harkless on, uh, Murray to start and Aminu on, um, Jokic. So they would be able to switch that. It's just hard. It's, it's a tough thing. I, I honestly think with, with Jokic, I want him to score more than I want him to pass. I think his passing is, is, is more deadly than, than his scoring. So for me, I kind of, want to invite him to 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 have to be more of a scorer and 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 try to take away those passes now listen it's very easy for me to say that sitting in my comfortable home in los angeles and not having to actually do it or or put the game plan in but i think that might be more my my idea i think you know what when you have a guy as good as he is i think you got to try to take one thing away because you can't take everything away so Either you're going to try to stop him from scoring, which I just don't think they can. I just don't think they have the guys. Um, if Nurkic was healthy, I think this would have been a am- really amazing series just for the bad blood, the trash talk. I think there had been a lot more uh, animosity on the court, which I tend to enjoy a lot more because um, of my sadistic <laughs> nature. Uh, but the uh, but I think we I just don't think they can stop him from scoring. So at that point, um, and that's all due respect, Greg, to your boy Myers Leonard. Uh, <laughs> But to that that end, I think that, <laughs> not my boy, not my boy, my bad, my my my, my bad. Um, but uh, you know, I uh, I think you got to just try to take something away, and I think for them, their best chances is try to take the other guys away and see if Jokic can beat you single handedly. Because you know we know how it is with him when he's cooking, he's scoring, he's passing, he's rebounding, you know, and and he's he he's finding guys on the backdoor cuts. I mean, Murray and Harris have have. Uh, really kind of developed great chemistry with him in that regard. So I just, I think it's, it's a tough cover for them. I, I I think that game gets a little more interesting. If, if CJ's able to hit a three, he went two for seven, he kind of struggled. Um, I don't expect Portland to go out quietly. Um, I, I, I think it'll be a battle. So, um, you know, I, I, it's going to be an interesting game tomorrow night. I have no feel for, you know, kind of predicting who's going to win. Um, but, uh, 
I think it's going to be a fun one to watch because I'm I'm going to be glued in to just see how they defend Jokic. That's a good way to put the series. The no feel. I need series. to see more from CJ. The no feel series. That's I, it's true. I feel like everybody feels that way, right? Yeah, I couldn't. I picked Nuggets in seven and had zero confidence for that pick. <laughs> I just think there was enough inconsistency from the Nuggets in what they did against the Spurs that makes you feel like it's the no feel series. And then on the other side of the coin, you look at everything that Dame did against OKC, and you felt like, all right, how do you not pick these guys to? roll their way to the West finals after the momentum they've been on. But then after you see what happened in game one, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. And, and but I just, I, I think you need to see a lot more from CJ. If Portland's going to have a chance to, to go back home uh, with a one, one split. And the one thing too, I'll say is don't sleep on the effect of the high altitude. You know, they, they really, they obviously it was a, uh, Friday night, or I'm sorry, it was Saturday game seven between the Spurs and the Nuggets. You know, they, they flew in on Sunday, played on Monday. You know, it's not like they had a lot of time to really get acclimated for the, the altitude and things like that. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a better showing from some of these other Blazers just because, you know, they, they've been in Denver for a few more days. They're kind of a little more used to the, the altitude and, and, and might be able to have a, a smoother go about it this time around. Yeah, I have. I don't have anything to add on this series. Again, the no feel series is. I'm. I'm. I want to see Portland get a little bit more drastic in game two. I know you said that they tried the Harkless Aminu stuff later, but if things don't start to pan out uh, in game two at the beginning, I'd like to see them lean into just super small in these. Uh, I don't know if you can call them playmaking lineups because of what uh, Aminu and Harkless cannot do as ball handlers, but that's just something I'd, I'd like to see them try if Jokic is still just eating so much. Perfect. Well, guys, uh, is there anything else you guys want to add? Did I did I miss anything you guys want to touch on? No, I think you did it all. Myers bro. Leonard for president twenty twenty. <laughs> but, but see, he can't be your boy if you're going to push for him to be like he's either your yeah, boy and going for president Greg. or he's not. <laughs> I'm confused. You're still- I'm just I'm just trying to rep the I'm just trying to rep the Big Ten. That's all I'm saying. I'm just there's not a whole lot of Big Ten love outside of Draymond in these playoffs at this point. So I'm just I'm trying to rep the Big Ten. Yeah, love. Do, do you know why? Do you know why the Big Ten doesn't get a lot of love? Because you have 11 teams. Actually, it's 14, Mo. It's 14. Listen, no, that's it. We're ending the podcast. I think moral of this story is that the Blazers need to dust off Scala BCA. I think that's my biggest takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, listen, everybody, you can catch my man, Dan. He's the co-host of Hardwood Knox. Uh, I will have a podcast at some point going up on Blue Wire. Greg's always around. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to Blue Wire Buckets.